This week on The Short Game, we reroute power to the rear deflectors. Welcome back to another episode of The Short Game. The Short Game is a weekly panel discussion where we talk about short video games. Really good ones. This week, I'm joined by my brother Shane. Hi guys, I'm Shane. And my good friend Nate Heininger. Hey guys, I'm Nate. Yep, that is accurate. And I am your host, Reagan Kelly. This week we're talking about the indie... How... Masterpiece. <laughs> this week, we're talking about the indie masterpiece, FTL, Faster Than Light. It's become one of my favorite games of the last few years, and I'm really excited to talk about it today. Um, but before we dig into it, uh, we can talk a little bit about what's new. What are you guys playing lately? I am playing Hearthstone on my iPad. So I've been doing a lot of iPad-based games this is not a game that I saw myself getting into as much as I've actually done. And uh, I think this is a free-to-play game done right. For If you haven't seen Hearthstone, you turn me on to it, Reagan. Yeah, it's awesome. Have you seen Hearthstone, Nate? Um, I'm aware that it exists, and it seems like something that I would like, but I have not played it yet. Well, you can download it for free on your Mac or PC if you don't have an iPad. But it does seem like the iPad is the way to play it. What do you what do you like about it, Shane? Well, what I didn't actually think I would like it. I, I played it at your recommendation. I like uh, that it's extremely simple, easy to play um, car, uh, card based combat game. Um, I like that it has uh, really nice art and voice acting. Uh, I like that all the environments are fun. The production values are really high. Well, I mean, that's what I would expect from a Blizzard game, so it's it's definitely up to par for that. I could see, like, it's it's offering me freebies in World of Warcraft uh, just for playing, <laughs> uh, which I do not Is play. that an incentive for you? Uh, yes, it, it, I've, apparently I've won a Hearthsteed uh, for, my, for my WoW character. Uh, I think we all got Hearthsteeds, Shane. But I, I don't know. What I really like about the game is uh, that... A lot with a lot of free to play games, I feel like I have to uh, uh, fork over money in order to unlock stuff, and I've just been constantly unlocking new cards and new characters as I've played, and the combat's really enjoyable. Uh, like the mechanics are simple, but uh, there's a lot of cleverness to it. Uh, it reminds me, as all of these kinds of games do, of when I was a kid, uh, really into Magic: The Gathering, uh, which is something that I have not really played or experienced in any way that i really liked since then so i definitely recommend it it's uh it's a great way to kill a few hours or uh more i just i like any uh game like that that i've found so far card based games um but i have not ventured into hearthstone yet so i probably will soon it's done just a few things that i think are really genius um one is that the cards 
while you can gain cards, you can essentially pay to unlock more cards in the form of buying expert packs, it calls them, and you can earn new cards in drops, and you can also craft cards. So if you end up with cards that you don't want, you can turn them into dust, and then you can use a crafting mechanic to specifically craft certain cards that you really want. So there's all these different ways to gain cards, but there's no marketplace or trading of cards. So the cards, I think they were very, very smart there. They, there's not really a quote-unquote value to the cards. You're not in a situation where, well, this card is worth 38 cents on the marketplace, or I could eBay this card or trade this card for this other card. That is off the table. And I think that really, really helps make the game still feel fun and casual and not making it feel like a constantly monetized experience. And the other thing that I think they did that was really smart was, while yes, you can pay money to get expert packs and, un, you know, and open packs and get new cards, probably the main way that you spend money on the game is with the arena, which is a kind of a separate game mode. So you could pay in in-game gold or in real money to enter the arena. And it's like, I forget how much it is. It's like two bucks or three bucks, something like that. And you enter the arena and it's kind of like a card draft. So you they do a card draft where you collect cards from a joint pool. So you don't have to be prepared with a huge, amazing deck in advance. And then everybody's playing with more or less a, a roughly equal chance of getting a good deck for this game mode in the arena. And then when everybody has their deck, you play against other people who are in the same arena as you. And if you rack up three wins in the arena, then you get um, a big reward. And you get larger and larger rewards the longer you can stay in. So you you know you'd play several games against someone or a, against a series of of real opponents on the internet. And um, I think it's really smart because then you're not just paying for stuff in the game. You can do that, but it's not the main way to spend money in the game. The main way to spend money in the game is to pay to unlock an evening of great gameplay against other people with the possibility of unlocking cool stuff if you win. It's a really different kind of take on free-to-play, and I think it's absolutely ingenious. It reminds me more of the way that Valve does um, the free-to-play mechanics in um, Team Fortress 2, because in Team Fortress 2, you don't pay to get stuff. You kind of can, but mainly you pay for keys to get priority access to servers or stuff like that. So it's it's more like uh, pay to experience a, a better game mode than it is pay to get stuff or pay to win. Really awesome thinking on, behind it. I think it's fantastic. That sounds like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Nate, what are you playing lately? I have been playing a game called Mercenary Kings. I downloaded it for free on my PlayStation 4. Oh, you showed me the the artwork from that, and it looks absolutely awesome. Yeah, it's a ton of fun. Uh, it's a side-scrolling kind of shoot 'em up kind of uh, you know retro. Uh, it's not eight uh, bit, probably sixteen bit, somewhere in that world. <laughs> are we really still measuring bits? I mean, we've got no, millions of point. colors at our at our yeah. disposal well, now. What you're gonna want to do is you're gonna want to take some screenshots and just uh, count the different colors that you see in the color palette, and just see how many there are. It's probably a lot of bits. <laughs> it's actually. If we're really counting bits, it's probably a lot of bits, but it's made to look like there are very few bits. <laughs> it's got this um, pixel art style. There you How go. inventive. <laughs> yeah. New and original pixel art style. Mm-hmm. But what's probably the most fun about it is that it has 
local co-op as well as online co-op and i okay you just sold me on this game because i will play absolutely any game that has both local and online co-op and they've actually perfectly melded the two you can say i've got me and a friend who wants to play the game well i could uh you can have up to four in a party and i could get two online players to fill out my party and continue playing that's fantastic Shane and I have been playing Trine 2 recently for just that reason, because it's it's been letting me and Shane and Shane's wife all play at the same time. Nice. Yeah, it's a ton of fun. Uh, you basically have your character, and you go out on these missions. The missions have a short amount of kind of time requirement. Usually it'll be you have 15 minutes to complete it, 20 minutes to complete it. It'll basically be you with your uh, little army guy going through and just shooting a lot of bad guys and trying to rescue a hostage or something like that. Mm -hmm. But the thing that's pretty interesting about it is that it has a pretty in-depth modification aspect to it where you return back to the base after each mission and you can fully customize your weapons, fully customize your armor. There's body modifications. <laughs> um, like sweet plugs? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All based off of material that you find in the missions. So you might uh, kill someone and they drop aluminum or Because I was going to say, looking at this, it looks kind of like a Metal Slug type game. I love Metal Slug. We all love Metal Slug, Reagan. And But this looks like Metal Slug with, a, I, with I guess, the ability to customize your character and play mm -hmm. with buddies online. So, hey. That's so appealing could, to me. What's wrong about that, man? And so this game is available on... On Steam, on both Mac and PC, so that's mm -hmm. a killer selling point, and on the PS4. For free. For free? At least it is on the PS4. Free fitty. Yeah, it looks like it's free on the PS4. It's 20 bucks for Steam early access keys. I there am probably willing to spend 20 bucks on this if you're up to play it with me, guys. Yeah, I don't know if a uh, cross-platform... Um, if if I can play with you on my PS4 while you're on your Mac. Yeah, that may not be possible, but we'll work something out. The game yeah. sounds absolutely awesome. It's a ton of fun. A couple other things I wanted to note about it, because I did a little bit of looking. Um, Shane, do you remember the game Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, the movie, the game? I do remember when that came out, uh, although... I read the comic and saw the movie, but never played the game. I never played the game either. I have the game's soundtrack because it is a fantastic album by Anamanaguchi. Uh, great uh, chiptune soundtrack. But this is apparently the team that made that game. Um, so, And yeah, it's, it started with a Kickstarter project like every other video game these days. Of course. Do you even have to say that anymore? Isn't Kickstarter just the way that video games get made today? I, I don't think that anyone does anything without a Kickstarter project anymore. Speaking of which, I, I think our Kickstarter project for this podcast will be getting off the ground shortly, and um, uh, we'll be selling the right to appear on the podcast. For just $100 a year, you can have a beautiful The Short Game tote bag. <laughs> it's very exciting times for our podcast. Absolutely. I'll give you a back rub for $20. Only 20 Yeah, I'm cheap. So we've talked a little bit in the past about a game called Guacamelee, a game I just played recently and i'm i was super super excited by um it was a great sort of combination of a brawler with a really cool fighting mechanic but with the exploration and kind of level traversal of something like a metroidvania and it was one of the most exciting games for me this year 
Um, I mean, it came out last year. It was not a brand new game when I got it. I think I picked it up in the Humble Bundle. But, oh, my gosh, so much fun. And it's another one that's available on all kinds of platforms. Uh, it's coming out on the PS4 pretty soon. It's already out on the PlayStation Vita. Uh, and it's out on Steam. And I think you can get it for, like, 15 bucks. And you absolutely should. It's a fantastic game. Um, but the team that made that, Drinkbox Studios, who I really admire, pretty much based solely on that one game, has a trailer out for a new game that they're putting out this coming year or maybe late this year. I'm not sure if they have an actual release date yet, but I don't think so. It sounded pretty far off in the future. Yeah, um, well, when's the Kickstarter end? I, I haven't seen a Kickstarter for this. I think that they're still riding high on their bazillion guacamelee dollars. Um, I hope they made a they bazillion dollars. They made a dollars. bazillion dollars? They got that FU mad guacamelee money, man. Like point one hundred dollars. Ah. So, the game is called Severed, and um, unlike their previous games, it's going to be a touch-based game. They haven't totally, it seems, nailed down. They know it's going to be on iOS, probably also on Android, although that wasn't really certain. Um, and they haven't really determined yet whether it's going to be multi-touch required, so probably you know only on those devices, or whether it might also come out on devices like the PlayStation Vita or the uh, Nintendo DS or 3DS, where it might not have actual multi-touch. But anyway, the game, I think the thing that really makes it look amazing is the art style. So. If you have a chance, check the show notes. We're going to have a link to the concept video and a couple of articles about the game. It looks fantastic. But the premise is basically it's a kind of a cross between a, uh adventure game where you're, you know, moving around through a world, mostly through tap controls and stuff, and first-person combat in the style of something like Infinity Blade. Um, you're playing a character who has had her arm cut off, and it's this very... Um, sort of almost drug trippy kind of world with really, really bizarre art where she's following her crawling arm around and trying to get it back. And in the meantime, she's like fighting enemies and cutting off their parts and reattaching them to her parts to gain their powers. That sounds revolting. I know, but you've got to see the art. It looks so cool. It really, really looks That sounds looks like cool. a lot of fun. Anyway, I think it's really exciting, mainly just to see that Drinkbox is doing another game. The fact that it's going to be on iOS... I'm excited by because I've been playing a ton of games on my iPad recently, including the one we're going to be talking about today, FTL, Faster Than Light. Good segue. Yeah. Sweet segue. Good segue, man. Yeah, that'll really hype the listeners up. Before we really dig into this, uh, we've been trying to make sure we avoid spoilers in all of the games that we talk about. What do you guys think about spoilers on on FTL? Are we going to have a problem here? I personally uh, will just give the my bite-sized opinion on spoilers, which is that I don't care about spoilers. Yeah. So in this episode, as with all episodes, I don't care about spoilers. Uh, I respect those people who do. I don't want to ruin your experience, but 
Uh, science has shown that spoilers don't matter. That's true. I'll see if I can drop a link in the show notes. There have been numerous studies uh, that... Numerous? I think there was probably like one like mostly BS study that confirmed my opinion. <laughs> there was a non-statistically significant study that was quoted <laughs> in uh, pop sci articles sometime around 2011 that said that people enjoy... I think the specific example of the study was short stories... Um, they statistically observably enjoy them more if they hear spoilers. So, but that aside, I don't think we need to worry about spoilers for FTL because for the first time on our podcast, we're talking about a non-narrative game. Yeah. I think the only thing if you're, this would be kind of a, a stretch to call it spoiler would be if you're somebody who really, um, craves the strategy and does not want to hear perhaps hints or tips on how to do well at this game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a that's a fair point. Uh, a big appeal of this game is dying over and over. <laughs> so true. Yeah, and and figuring out all the little ways to kind of maximize your ability to make it as far as possible. Mm -hmm. So we're definitely going to be talking about some of those. Yeah, we're definitely going to be talking about our best strategy tips for the game. Um, but because of the structure of this game, it's not really story-driven. There is kind of a frame story um, to kind of set that up. FTL is a game where you play as essentially a spaceship. You've got a crew, you're managing a spaceship, and you're trying to get it across an area of space, you know, point A to point B, and uh, each time you jump from place to place, you have an encounter that may include battle, and you're managing the resources of your starship to kind of try to survive these battles and eventually get to the end of the game and uh, fight the final dude, and hooray, you win. Um, so really exciting story there. I would sort of describe the story as uh, Star Wars and Star Trek with all the serial numbers filed off. <laughs> I have seen it described, the game, as Firefly by way of the roguelike genre, which I think is a really apt description. Um, that was uh, Ben Kuchera of, I think, Polygon. Yeah, there's definitely a diverse and interesting world that you're moving, or universe that you're moving through, but there's not a single storyline, considering yeah. the fact that it's a procedurally generated random encounter game. Mm -hmm. You don't really stop to chat with the lake, the locals. The locals are interesting, though, and... Uh... I mean, there's a pretty big collection of different races and ships and a fantastically large collection of uh, weapons and encounters. And uh, so there's really an infinite number of different scenarios that you might find yourself in. Mm -hmm. But those scenarios uh, are kind of shuffled each time. Um, so the game has a... It's not really a narrative so much as a collection of interesting encounters that you play through as you try to reach the end. In a way, I think it kind of has a lot in common with something like a board game or a puzzle game, because you're not so much playing through a story as you're playing through a series of situations um, probably numerous times. Each time that you play the game, your session is probably going to be pretty short. Like, I, I could... Uh, Nate, if you beat the game, like if you get from the very first stage all the way to the end and complete the final boss, mm -hmm. what would you say is like your average amount of time to do that? Well, that can definitely vary depending on the play style that you've chosen uh, or the one that leads you to victory. But I had one that took me actually about two, two and a half hours to play from start to finish. And then I've had another one that took me about an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. from start to finish and i think that's why it really appeals to me is it it feels a lot like playing a great board game because you have that 
you know, it's going to take you maybe an hour to complete or maybe two or three hours to complete if you're playing a really extended one. Um, but then you can finish it. Maybe you won, maybe you lost. You can examine how you did and why you did the way you did and you try lost. it again. Just, you, you I, I have always it lost should this be, game. It should be said, though, uh, I've played at this point a ton. And most of my runs probably go a minimum about 45 minutes. When you start the game as a new player, most of your runs... <laughs> ten minutes. <laughs> ten minutes. You're not going to make it very far. It is an incredibly complicated... It, it's one of those games... It's Brutally easy, punishing. It's easy to kind of grasp at the beginning, but the the like the minute mechanic capabilities of the game and how specific you can get with your strategy and mm -hmm. and how you control your ship uh takes a while to to get a hold of so you mm -hmm. will die a lot <laughs> absolutely i know i <laughs> the have the thing that is interesting to me about this game is that it's it is totally a style that i've of game that i've never seen before it is it has a lot in common with certain other things um uh, but actually, to kind of describe the sort of feel and the to sort of basically describe the game, um, the the best thing that I've been able to explain when people look over my shoulder and see me playing this on my iPad or on my Mac uh, is that it's kind of like those scenes in Star Trek where you see the captain sitting in his chair and directing traffic on the ship as battle is going on. Yeah. Reroute power for the rear from the rear deflectors. Yes, and he's yelling at the the science officers to you know increase their long range scans, and he's yelling at the engineering to repair the engines and uh, make sure that they direct power over to the the airlocks. It's it's that moment in Star Trek. Uh, repeated over and over again because you're getting to command this starship, upgrade your starship, and it really has the fun of space combat, but with the sort of detached... It's not turn-based, but you have the ability to pause the action at any time and consider every action that you take. Oh, yeah, and queue up actions as you're paused. Exactly. So you, you have this feeling of being in command of the entire situation. You're never... This ship is never wildly out of your control. Shit can go down really badly, really quickly, but you can always pause the action and analyze and make informed, captainly decisions about your ship. You're not controlling the movement of the ship at all, which is very different than most space battle games. The ship is, for all intents and purposes, stationary. You're controlling what's going on inside of the ship. You're not, you know, most space battle games, you're kind of like a joystick or something controlling how the ship's moving through space. You have no control over that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think in, I, I heard someone, I wish I remember who, uh, describe the game saying, in most space combat simulators, you are the pilot. And in this game, you are the captain. Perfect description. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I, I, I even thought about it a little more. I, I, I kind of envision, as I play this game, I fantasize that I'm some sort of ship AI that's like, you know, infinitely wise and, you know, incredibly uh, vicious. And incredibly attractive. Uh, yes, just huge tracts of land. You... You brought it up a moment ago, uh, comparing it to a board game. Uh, I don't know if you read this or not, but the developers actually did 
design this with board game mechanics in mind. Really? Actually, they, I didn't know that. Yeah, they kind of were inspired by board games. And the layout of the game, which we haven't really discussed that much yet, uh, is kind of reminiscent of a board game. Yeah, visually it kind of reminds me of a board game. Absolutely. You're basically looking at your ship from top down as if it had been cut in half uh, horizontally. So you see top down all the rooms open and on a grid. All your, yeah, on a grid where all of your people are. And you see the enemy ships that way as well. I actually saw some screenshots that were from an early version of the game that had a much more like much more detail to all of the rooms. Like all the systems were like, you know, the people had little chairs to sit in and stuff like that. And they stripped all that away as they as they built the game out and uh, apparently the the reason they gave for that was they wanted the game not only you know to have an appealing visual style but to be very clear when you look at it what is going on mm -hmm. and that i think is one of the things that they did very well in the game uh, it's translated well over to the ipad as well like you can look at your screen and you have in front of you it's a very complex game but you see every aspect of the ship Absolutely. It scratches a lot of the same itches for me that Civilization did, but over a much, much shorter span for the game. Um, not to say that definitely... there's a lot in common with Civ. Civ is a very different game, but um, it, in a weird way, like it scratches that same, I want to uh, think and make decisions about the path I'm going to take through this game. And yeah, it, it's just, it's a, it has that same board gamey intellectual right. feel. Well, like Civ, you're dealing and managing with the short term while planning for the long term. Yeah. So well, it's very much a, a like a resource management game. You you have limited energy for the systems on your ship, mm -hmm. and uh, the, those limits are all constantly being tested by opponents. Yeah, and, having people, uh, you have a finite amount of crew, and having mm -hmm. a crew member in a room with a system makes that system more powerful. Mm -hmm. So you have to decide which which rooms you value or which systems you value mm -hmm. uh, before you acquire more crew. Mm -hmm. And something that gets thrown around a lot when people talk about this game is that it's a roguelike um, have you guys ever played any other games that you would describe as a roguelike? I've played yeah. many roguelikes. Have you really? I got very into yes. roguelikes for a little while. Um, that's interesting, because when I played this game, I actually think this may be the first roguelike that I really got deeply into. I have played a couple others, but to kind of define that term, um, roguelike is a genre term that obviously it, it stems from a game called Rogue, uh, games like Rogue, but Rogue is a really, really old game. It's one of these ones that would have run on uh, big mainframe computers in its early days. It's entirely a text-based game, um, but the things about it that really stand out as ones that that are still kind of inspiring other games today is that, first of all, all the levels are procedurally generated. You know, everything is being created for you randomly, so each time you play the game, you're getting a different experience. When you die, you start over completely from scratch, and that means that while you know your progress through the game isn't so much about leveling up a character or improving uh, your stuff or your stats, your progress in the game is about getting better as a player, which is interesting and kind of appealing. And also, uh, 
a throwback in a way where it's all about high score. Yeah. Your, your main goal is to get a high score. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to beat this game in order to win. When you win, you'll know it because you do better than your last time. Yeah. Other things about roguelikes that make them kind of unique, usually in roguelikes, they're either turn-based or have a pause mechanic like FTL does so that you can stop the action and really make uh, analytical choices. They're not action games. Um, and you have a completely different experience each time you play the game. Sometimes that even goes as far as with, with most uh, roguelikes, when you pick up an item, you like for example, I pick up a blue potion. Uh, I may not know what a blue potion does until I try it. And if I play the game once and I discover through use or, you know, whatever, that my blue potion is a potion of fireballs, well, the next time I play the game and I find another blue potion, it may actually not be a potion of fireballs. It may be a healing potion or it may be poison. So every single time you play a game in that roguelike genre not only are you seeing different levels, but you're seeing an almost entirely different game. I also wanted to throw out real quick that my three highest scores in FTL thus far uh, have not come from any of my runs that have ended in victory. Victory being defeating the Rebel flagship, the final boss. I have defeated the Rebel flagship multiple times, and... My three highest scores are not from those runs. Now, they've all, they've mostly been from runs where I have made it to the boss and lost in the boss. So it's not like I was very far from it, but still, it goes to show you it's, it's not about necessarily winning that game. It's about how you go about doing it. Yeah, I think that when you lose that game, it is as fun as when you win it. And that, is a really good game when that's the case. Mm -hmm. Yes and no. There are times <laughs> where I have had some fantastic ships that I've been so excited about, and I'm like, this ship is going to take me all the way. And then some stray missile hits my pilot, destroys my dodge. I'll talk about this one later, probably. <laughs> it's a very recent game, still, un, uh, still annoying. And your whole run just comes crumbling down. Uh -huh. And But I actually, I really like roguelikes. I really like that, the finality of it. It's done. I lost. Time to start over. Yeah. Or time to stop and come back to it another time. Because yeah. like a good board game, it's something that you can pick up, play for a limited, short period of time. That's the title of the show, guys. And then... Short period of time. <laughs> Welcome to the short period of time game. <laughs> I'm your host. Um, the... What was I saying? You were talking about games that you could play for a short period of time that you might enjoy for a weekend or, you know... You guys are awesome. So, yeah, I loved this game for that reason. It's a great game to be able to pick up and 
play for an evening and then finish. And you can play it again because it feels almost infinitely replayable. You're always able to go back into it and try it again. But you really can play this game and get a really good feel of what it has to offer in three or four runs. Maybe spend four hours with the game. Yeah. They also uh, included some unlockables that don't... You don't need to do them, but basically you can unlock new ships which each ship has a specific play style built around it. Some are better at maybe being focused on the drones, drone system, or some are more laser-based, some are more missile-based. And you can enjoy the game as, uh, as it comes, or if you get really deep into it, you can unlock these new ships and try to beat it in new and different play styles. Mm-hmm. So le- let's... Talk about what happens in a game of FTL. Let's take it from the beginning to somewhere near near the end, and let's talk about some of the things that you might expect to do or have happen to you and your ship and your crew while you play. Sure. Um, Well, let's say we're just starting off as a brand new player. If I just downloaded this app on my iPad or I've installed it on my Mac or PC, uh, I'm going to be put into a ship called the Kestrel. Pretty good ship. It's honestly, yeah, I think it's the best ship in the game. I I haven't unlocked that many ships. Uh, well, I mean, it's the best ship that I have that managed. Nate is I'll put Nate is way. shaking his head. Nate, I'm in guessing consternation. you've got some fancy. I so Nate said earlier, you don't need to unlock these ships. I need to unlock <laughs> these ships. Yeah, I have unlocked. This game has gotten in my head more than any game that I can ever remember before. Uh, we say this game is a short game. I agree that it is. But I've spent more time on this game in the last like six months than almost any other game that I can think of. But It has I, that capacity. It has that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Kestrel is a, is a great ship because it has two very good starting weapons. And two very good starting weapons can get you very deep into a run. Just on the, on their own. It's got yeah, a combination of a the nice, thing that makes simple... it a good a good set of starting weapons. It has a, a burst laser and it has a missile launcher. And uh, the missile, you know, it's a, missiles are a consumable resource, but those missiles pass right through the enemy shield. Uh, and the burst laser is great because it fires off three successive laser blasts. Each one can take down one level of an enemy shield. Mm-hmm. So. This ship is seems like it's designed to get through at least low-level enemy shields with no problem. Yeah, they really set you up for success. And that, I think, is the first strategy tip that we probably should talk about, is if you're playing with the Kestrel, as you will be for many of your first runs, um, you want to probably leave the auto-fire feature of the weapons turned off and try and time your blasts with those guns so that you can drop a missile down through your enemy's shield and hopefully hit their shield system and deactivate it, and that'll let you get at least two and maybe all three of your burst lasers blasts right down onto the enemy ship. And if you're aiming that, you probably want to aim it for either their weapons to try and disable their weapons so that they won't be able to shoot at you, or maybe at their pilot to prevent them from dodging or something like that. Yep, absolutely. Timing your weapons is one of the uh, biggest kind of skill sets that will you'll kind of grow with the more you play. Uh, learning what weapons hit at what time, do what type of damage, how to stagger them so you make the most out of each volley each time you fire your weapons. Mm-hmm. 
So you've been dropped into the Kestrel. You've got your weapons primed and you're headed off on your first trip through the game. Um, what are some of the kinds of things that you're going to run into? Well, first you'll have the option. You'll hit a big yellow button that says jump and you'll be taken to a map that'll show probably, what, 15 different little dots with one all the way on the far right saying exit. And you'll have the option of taking whatever path you want by jumping from dot to dot, each dot being an individual encounter. Mm -hmm. And your goal to... Referred to in the game as nodes. Yep, or beacons. Oh, right. Um, I'm sorry. Beacons. What's a node? uh, That's really the same word. Node beacons. Yeah, A, a, a node beacon. And all the while, each jump you make, a big looming red kind of swarm is following you. And that's the enemy uh, enemy fleet. And so you have that a finite... one huge fleet, man. Yeah. You have a finite amount of time within each sector before you can get to the exit. And so you want to maximize the amount of beacons you hit in each sector before getting to the exit. But you choose your own route. As you hover over, if you hover your mouse or your finger on an iPad over a beacon, it'll show you what the connecting beacons are. So you can kind of route, choose your route through the sector. And if you're not seeing those lines in advance that let you plan out your jumps, that is an option on the Windows and Mac version that you have to enable in the settings. On the iPad, it seems to be on by default. But if you're not seeing those little lines to help you guide your path through the uh the system or the sector, um, make sure you turn that feature on because otherwise you're going to have no idea how many jumps it is from one place to the next. Yep. Uh, And so the vast majority of encounters will be some sort of direct combat. It'll give you a little bit of flavor text. You know, you've stumbled across a pirate uh, looting the corpse of of a destroyed ship. Uh, you've found a scared rock cruiser that attacks you out of, you know, concern for its well-being, whatever, and you just go straight into combat. Mm-hmm. And then the combat is, uh, once again, that's the, that's where you can pause at any moment. You can consider your actions. You can fire off your weapons. You can power up and down certain systems. So, for example, if you want to direct extra power to your shields while you're being fired at, you can power down your oxygen or your uh, your med bay systems and then power them up again later. So there's a lot to do during the combat. Yeah, and that's going to be... I, I'm just pulling this number, you know, I don't know, but probably 7 out of 10 jumps will be an immediate... You're just in combat. That sounds about right. There's a... But there's a, you know, a sizable amount of other ones where you might have an option you might get to choose uh do i attack this ship or do i try to hide from this ship or some there's somewhere it's like there's a mantis ship fighting an ng ship do you aid the mantis ship or do you aid the ng ship or do you fly on past or do you fly on past uh or Hey, this space station is on fire. Do you A, send in a crew to rescue that crew? Do you dock your ship to the burning space station to try to get them off? Or do you just go on by? Each with its own randomly generated solution. You might get the same encounter three times, but each time, and you, if you chose the same 
uh, answer each time, you'd probably still get a different outcome every time. There are even situations where having a particular piece on your ship, a particular system, like a teleporter or a crew member of a particular species, will give you a special blue option uh, that are usually much more favorable than any of the other choices. And so just for example, if you're next to a stranded ship and you have a teleporter, it might offer to allow you to beam people aboard uh, from the stranded ship rather than uh, dock with them yep. in a hazardous situation. Always do the blue options. Yes, it's that's always another a good, good tip. It's always a good outcome. You have a much better th- chance of getting a good outcome. Sometimes bad things do happen, like you might get something cool, but also... Uh, in, take some damage to your hull, or you might get something cool, but also lose a crew member or something like that. Um, but usually the blue option will involve a good outcome. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of other types of out, of encounters. Alien spiders are no... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't ever do the, the alien spiders. <laughs> Don't ever do the giant spider unless you have a clone bay oh god because Alien it's spiders. like an, they're always it's like a mistake. an 80 it's like an 80 per it's about an 80 percent chance that you're gonna lose a crew member yeah that's bad news bears don't do it it's and not even worth if it. you even if you succeed which i have i have tried and i have succeeded i have sent more crew members to their deaths at the hands of these spiders than i really should have uh, and when you do succeed, the reward is like, just, just like, nothing. hey, you've got some dead spiders. <laughs> yeah, it's really not worth it. It is never my instinct in this game to pass on an event to just be like, meh, and just move on to the next beacon. That event I pass every time because it's not worth mm-hmm. it. So uh, one other type of encounter that you'll have in the game would be stores. Sometimes you'll jump into areas in the game where you can shop for add-ons to your ship i should say actually you can upgrade your ship in certain ways without having to visit a store so as you proceed through the game the kind of currency that you collect is scrap if you beat a ship or if you complete one of these little encounters you'll usually get a payoff in the form of some kind of resources most often scrap and once you've collected enough scrap you can use that to upgrade the various systems of your ship so for example you might spend 20 scrap and get one extra bar of uh being able to uh like power your med bay or one extra bar of your engines Mm -hmm. something like that and uh the prices will vary and the payoffs will vary uh what are the first upgrades you guys usually do to your to your ship always shields personally when I uh, when I'm getting started in the game, uh, my number one priority is to get a second layer of shields, uh, because laser weapons are way more common in the game than things like missiles, and even if an uh, enemy has both, uh, the lasers tend to fire first and fire more often, and so uh, good shields can really protect you. Yep. Um, after that, I will usually. Uh, work on upgrading the um the the dodge ability of the ship uh nate you were saying earlier that like dodge is super important i didn't really catch on to that until recently it makes a big difference that was a tip that nate gave me that's really improved my play yeah so don't dodge forget about dodge might be 
I'll I'll say uh, a fourth bubble of shield is actually almost never necessary. Uh, rather spend that money upgrading your engine, which will have a longer um, and more lasting effect. Because every time you dodge a shot, your shield's entirely unnecessary, mm-hmm. and missiles are unaffected by shields, and missiles do the most damage typically. So uh, I try to do the first bar of shields first. And then I do two bars into my engines as my next upgrade, mm-hmm. as well as the reactor uh, power to be able to power those yeah. things. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me, actually. Uh, I actually have some questions for you guys. What are your favorite systems to add to the ship? Because when you get to these stores, you'll usually have a choice of several different systems. There's a lot of variety. Space in the ship is limited. Um, so far, like I've seen some... I've tried... So I've had some very big success working with the teleporter. Um, but there's even some new systems like the cloning bay or the um, hacking mm-hmm. that uh, that are new in the setup. Yeah, we should mention that at the time you're hearing this podcast, uh, there was a pretty recent addition to FTL called the Advanced Edition. Uh, it was a free upgrade for people who already owned FTL on the Mac or PC. And it coincided with the release of the iPad version, which includes it out of the gate. So if you've bought FTL in any version, you now have FTL Advanced Edition. And that content can be turned on and off. But the big additions were some new systems for your ship, uh, including the cloning bay, which is an, a replacement, I guess, for the med bay that allows you to uh, allow your crew members to be killed in combat and then clone them and get a new one. Um, there's also a hacking mechanic where you can, uh, specifically target and disable certain, um, uh, systems on your enemy's ship. Uh, there's also a new race that I am embarrassed to say I haven't actually encountered yet because I haven't gotten <laughs> far enough since that I've been trying that. They're only in a specific sector too. Okay. They're, yeah. Um, yeah, I've I've found them. I'm in their sector right now on my current play. What they are, are they? the most obnoxious borders? They're called the Lanius, and when they're in a room, they drain the oxygen from it. Hmm. So if you're trying to fight them and you're doing some sort of boarding mechanism or they board you, you have to kill them before they drain the oxygen in the room or your guys, uh, you know, for those who haven't played, if you're in a room that has no oxygen, your character's... Your crew members rapidly lose... Predictable health. things will occur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They rapidly lose health. So with that on top of a, a giant monster beating them, your guys die very fast. Mm-hmm. So it can be very difficult. brings me to my absolute favorite mechanic in the game, which is uh, venting the Oh, I love the doors system. Yes, if you can, if you have control over the doors. Which hopefully you do. Uh, 
and you get boarded. Um, a, a really excellent strategy, especially early on in the game, if you're not great uh, with the combat, is just send all of your characters, send all of your uh, crew members to the med bay, turn the med bay on so they're being healed, and then open all the doors to space. All the oxygen in the ship will be sucked out, uh, because the med bay is the only place on the ship with oxygen, all the boarders will try and run to beat their way in. Uh, by the time they make it in, they're usually at about half, half health, and you're sitting pretty, uh, being healed by nanobots, and uh, when they get in, you can just mm -hmm. finish them. Another tip yeah. there is that if you have two bars with your medbay, if you've upgraded your medbay, um, then you can flood even the medbay. And your characters will get enough healing to actually uh, improve in health while sitting in total vacuum. Yeah, in order to fully pull this off, you need to have upgraded doors. And that is normally my third purchase. I do shields, I do engines, and then I upgrade the doors. Because if you don't have the upgraded doors, they pass right through them. And while it's nice to kind of filter or... Um, bottleneck everybody into one room if they have to stop at each door and break it down you can sometimes have them killed before they even get to the med med bay mm -hmm. especially if you get to three levels of the doors and that'll really help if their ship yeah. is also shooting at you at the same time because this whole hide in the med bay thing works really well until they also hit you with a missile and then you're going to start having problems and that's where this game gets heavy and gets complicated is because Oftentimes, the intruders, the and that's how they kind of list it in the game. It will say intruders on board. The the boarders will jump on your ship right at the start of the fight. So you have to hit pause immediately, and you have to assign your crew members to deal with the boarders on your ship, and then also charge up your weapons and decide what you're going to fire on first. And so you've got a lot of things going on all at one moment. And the biggest tip that I can give to everybody is pause and pause often. Mm -hmm. I Before I make virtually any decision, I will pause the game. Absolutely. I am doing very little just on the fly. That's definitely a good way to play. I... I, I, I... I sometimes feel like I can play the game real time, and it it has led to me blowing my ship up uh, in stupid ways more times than I have, uh, can really yeah. admit. Because things snowball. Uh, there is fire is capable of happening on your ship, both from laser burst, missile burst, there are fire weapons. And if there's fire in the room, you have to send a guy to the room, put out the fire, and then fix the system that was broken. And so there are multiple levels of brokenness. And if something gets shattered and is on fire, <laughs> it can take quite some time to fix it. And mm -hmm. so let's say they catch your weapons system on fire. Well, you are just weaponless and you're just floating there being fired on. So there's a lot of stuff that you have to deal with really quickly. Mm -hmm. And if you try to just wing it, I can almost guarantee that you're going to be forgetting about something. Mm -hmm. You're going to have for forgotten to fire your weapons, or you're going to have left a guy in an airless room. <laughs> I have killed my entire crew simply by forgetting to turn the power back on to the O2 machines. Oh, absolutely. 
I'll power it down in the middle of a fight, and I'll get two jumps away. I'll be like, wait, all of my rooms are flashing pink. What does that mean? And then I'll realize, oh, I have 3% oxygen remaining, and I'll try to pause the game and turn it back on, but no, I was too slow, and my crew is already all dead. Does does this game in in this kind of element where it's like uh they've they've all died? <laughs> I just really it's just really reminiscent to me of like Oregon Trail. <laughs> oh yeah, like, absolutely. It's like it's like and and I I love that it lets me name the ship and name my original crew members because I'll always name them after friends. Yeah, you can rename the new crew members now. That's a new element of Advanced Edition. Oh, you can I didn't actually... notice that. Oh, that's yeah. nice. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, you can name them all. Yeah, which yeah. is actually, you're oh, right. Good. That's actually a really, really wonderful element of it because after you finish the game, you can go back to your scores page and look at all your previous runs and you see the names you've given to each of your ships and the uh, the names of some of the crew and what your score was yeah. and you can... Hall remember how you accidentally killed Shane and Nate by f- leaving them in a airless vacuum for too long. Yeah, I have had probably one of the saddest ones is I teleported uh, two of my guys over to the enemy ship in order to fight the enemy crew, and they instigated an escape. And then fired upon my teleporters, breaking them. And I was uh. unable to... <laughs> they, they escaped with your guys. Oh, that's so sad. I had that happen during a fight with the flagship. The flag... I had my two... I had this perfect ship. Uh, I guess we're going to... Do you guys want to talk about your favorite, your favorite runs? Because I'm about to talk about my favorite run. Okay, so in my very best run that I ever had... Uh, it was one of my first runs with the Advanced Edition. It was my first time to try out the Cloning Bay, which is a great addition to the game. It replaces your Med Bay. You're no longer able to specifically heal your guys. But uh, if it's powered up and a guy dies, it just starts you know, cooking up a new, a new copy of him. They lose a little bit of their, of their abilities and stuff. But, they get uh, a little dumb. Uh, yeah, they, they, they don't come out perfect. Yeah, we actually but, haven't uh, talked about that real quick. As you're... Crew members uh, work in various systems. They get better at those systems. So another tip yes. there is if you assign somebody to, for example, the shields, you pretty much want to leave them on the shields yeah. forever because and he'll so the, improve at that one system. Another uh, element in the new version uh, is that when you assign people in Advanced Edition to either the sensors or the doors, it automatically provides uh, one level upgrade to that system. So... Uh, you don't have to spend that uh, money right away, Nate, if you've got a spare person on your doors upgrade. You can drop a guy on the doors upgrade. And so when I'm venting the ship, I send uh, three guys to the med bay and a fourth guy to the doors room because he upgrades yeah. the doors, keeps everything in lockdown. I noticed that entirely by mistake, and it already saved my butt. That was a really yeah. great, I think, change to the way that this, the game works. It is nice. But I was getting into my... Um, uh, my fa- my best run ever. My best run uh, was all about that cloning bay because I, right on top of each other, I got the cloning bay uh, and an upgrade called the DNA bank. And the DNA bank basically means that you don't have to power your cloning bay uh, all the time. Uh, normally, you uh, with a med bay, you'll keep it powered up. Uh, you will not keep it powered up because you only need it to power it up when... 
you need uh, to heal somebody, and so you, you don't spend the, the energy on that. But the cloning bay, if there's any risk that somebody's going to die, you want to have that turned on. Because if it's off and somebody dies, they're gone. Now, with cloning bank, uh, that meant that cloning bay could be uh, on fire and turned off. Uh, and you'll still be able to bring your guys back when you fix it and get everything set back up. So uh, I had that. I had a, f uh, I had a crew uh, with three mantis on it. The mantis are the best fighters in the game. Ooh, they're mean. And I had a teleporter. And on top of that, I had some pretty decent weapons. I had some of the starting weapons from the Kestrel, and I had some ion weapons on top of that that are great for shutting down enemy systems. So I felt extremely well prepared going into the flagship. I get to the f I have I had been steamrolling the entire like systems after system after system. <laughs> I went through nothing but red systems on the way there just because I could and I wanted the extra scrap. So I had more scrap. I had a higher score than I've ever had in this game. And I get to the flagship. My whole strategy is based around teleporting these guys onto the flagship. I teleport these guys onto the flagship. They kill off everybody inside. It's a bloodbath. And the flagship teleports. What? <laughs> my mantis is on board. I had nothing left. No. I just, I had, my, my remaining weapons were, were pretty much based around like shutting down systems. And so I get to the next, I'm like, please, please. Well, I wonder if when I get to the stage two of the flagship, maybe they'll still be on board. <laughs> they oh, weren't. No, they weren't that's still there. awful. They, they disappeared. So uh, that was how I lost it all. Yeah. I, I had a run very recently, and I kind of hinted at it earlier. I uh, Also a failure on the flagship. I had <sighs> uh, a flak cannon, which is a new uh, uh, element of the game. That I haven't fires. even seen those yet. Uh, yeah, it basically fires That's the best weapon in the game now. I think it's it's definitely one of them. I had Flak One, which for two energy fires three kind of chunks of metal at the enemy ship, and it's not incredibly accurate, but it's very good for taking down shields. So I had that. I had two burst laser twos, which fire uh, a combination of six lasers, <laughs> and then I had a heavy I had a heavy laser two, nice. which fires a combination of Two lasers that do two damage to systems. You were a gunship. So my standard play would be I'd fire the flak, and then as soon as that would knock down the shields, I would unleash eight shots on the enemy ship, timing the heavy laser to be the last two that hit, so those hit four damage. So I could take out virtually every important system on the ship in one volley, and then it was pretty much game over and so like shane i steamrolled my way to the end and since i was destroying ships with no problem and uh not taking much damage i had a ton of money i had the engines all the way up i had the shields all the way up nobody could stop me i actually had a crew teleporter and two mantis that i never even used because i would just destroy <laughs> the enemy ship but i was saving those guys for the uh for the flagship because there's a particular strategy with them that against the flagship that makes that very useful. Uh, and I make it all the way to the last round of the flagship. I have lost maybe four bars of health across the two, the first two rounds of the flagship. And the flagship has a gun on it that shoots three missiles at one time. And I'm dodging at about 55% right here. Very quickly, one of those missiles hits my 
pilot pops a hole in it which destroys the pilot not uh. doesn't kill the crew member but pops a hole in it and catches uh or it, it, it caught the room on fire and i'm on the red tail which is the kestrel b the kestrel like the second game and it lights like the entire front part of the thing on fire so I'm not able to put it out in time, which when your pilot is on fire, that puts your dodge to 0%. Ah. Now, dodge is a very big part of was a very big part of my game plan on this. And the final version of the flagship has this move where it shoots eight <laughs> uh, lasers. Oh, and then no. after a countdown, shoots eight missiles. Well, it it oh. killed my first my pilot dropping my dodge down to nothing about 15 seconds later. So I'm trying to repair it, but not in time. It fires eight lasers. Sure. Four of them get stopped by my shield, but the next four, they hit my weapons. They hit my shield. They hit my teleporter and they hit like my doors. And when your doors are broken, you can't vent the rooms to put out any fire. So then it just, I went from utter domination to I was dead within like 45 <laughs> seconds. Aww. And I was just sitting there like, <sighs> what happened? And, you know, like I said, I pause the game frequently and I'm just pausing it looking like, what can I do? What can I do? <laughs> uh, send that guy in there to try to put out the fire, I guess. You know, un, you know unpause. Well, that's not working. <laughs> uh I guess I'm dying now. <laughs> Aww. Nate, that's a sad story. It was very sad. But that's part of the game. And mm-hmm. like in the random number generator is your friend and your enemy. And I I, I don't know. I love this game. I even that I, I had spent probably I was at two hours or something into it when that all happened. And it was incredibly disappointing to not finish it off but it was still ended up being like my third highest score yeah so i still felt pretty good there's a certain triumph in even if you don't make it to beat the game which you probably won't most of the time if you're like me um there's a certain triumph in just getting just a small amount farther than you did before or even getting annihilated in a really interesting new way oh yeah uh you will i promise you if you play this game a lot at some point you will die on your very first jump. <laughs> Never happened to me so far, but I, almost. It will. It will happen, and you can do nothing but laugh, sit back, and hit restart. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I love the, the kind of weird deaths that you get, like, you know, some just freak shot takes out just the right thing. I, I have had something almost like yours, Nate, where somebody lit my doors on fire. And when those door, you know, that's you can't put that fire out. The whole, si- the whole ship can go up at that point. Yeah, it's amazing how integral just the door system is to the whole ship. I've had I've had uh, times where I my sensors went out, and my my whole strategy is based around uh, teleporting, and that means I can't target a particular room because I can't see what's inside. Yep, and I'm out. I don't have quite as good a story as you guys do because I still haven't gotten 
to the flagship. I am much worse at this game than either of you guys are. And I also think I just haven't played it quite as much. Um, I have just recently started unlocking some new stuff, and so I really feel like I'm making progress. But most of my deaths are in somewhere around sectors four or five out of the... How many are there? Uh, sector eight is the final sector. Yeah, so I I usually get to about halfway through. And that's not to say that I'm not having fun. The great thing about this game is that I enjoy every time I play it, even if oh, yeah. I die in Sector 2. Absolutely. Uh, I'll say that I can consistently... I usually can make it to Sector 4 or 5 every time, and then it's Sector 6 or 7 that uh, is kind of make it or break it. But there are people who play this game much more than any of us that can make it to the... that They say they will make it to the flagship virtually every every run and i believe and, it have you gone on twitch and looked up streams of this game uh i haven't no it's fascinating you can uh, there's there's a lot of dedicated people that stream this game on twitch quite a bit and you uh it's actually a great resource if you're really interested in the game and you want to like i don't usually go quite this deep with games i don't watch a lot of games streaming on twitch and i don't usually look up a lot of detailed you know wiki articles about the games that i play uh, I like short games, and I like to play them from start to finish, and then I go on and move on to something else. But this game has gotten into my head just enough that I have done a lot more of that kind of thing than I would do with a typical game. Um, so a few things I would recommend looking into as resources, if you want to go further with the game than just what we've been able to discuss here today, would be uh, there's some great wikis about this game. I'll drop a couple of links into the show notes that are links to strategy wikis that cover all the stuff we talked about today and a lot more minutiae that will be interesting to you if you get into that side of the game. Um, but also, uh, it's a fantastic game to go watch on Twitch because there's some really great streamers out there who will play the game live on Twitch and comment for you about every decision they're making and why they're making it. And it's very educational. And another great thing about that on Twitch is generally if you're if you're not sure why they're doing something that they're doing, you can ask because usually they're responding to their chat as they stream. Interesting. I'm looking in the in the notes and I'm seeing this uh, this strategy article you've dropped in here. And uh, I tell you, that as soon as we get off the show, I'm going to be pouring through this strategy article and. Yeah, that, that particular one is great. I'm going to be dropping in a, a link to a, a wiki article that's just uh you know, introductory strategy, um, but that whole website is great. So definitely dive into that. There's one thing that I wanted to talk about with you guys about this game too, that I think is pretty interesting is there's definitely kind of a moral situation going on in this game that they kind of make you make decisions that you might kind of feel a little bad about sometimes, but for the good of the game, like what? Um, there's one where it's, you know, it's pretty common where you have to, you come across a mercenary and the mercenary you can hire for a certain amount of scrap to delay the rebel fleet or whatever. But honestly, the best thing to do is to fight the mercenary. And that's like the fourth option. And it kind of makes you feel really? a little bad because your goal here is to acquire scrap. Uh, I haven't been talking about it. I haven't said that too much, but really your first and foremost goal should be to get as much scrap as possible mm. because scrap is what you is, is what uh, drives the entire game. It's how you get new system. It's how you upgrade your ship. So anytime you have a decision, you generally want to 
choose whatever will result in the most scrap for you. And that mercenary, and, if you pay him scrap to go delay the rebels, well, that might give you an extra jump or two before the rebels get to you, but you're losing scrap because you're paying him, and you're also losing out on the scrap he would drop if you kill him. Exactly. And who knows what that one extra jump would result in. So it's best to just kill the mercenary. And it kind of makes you feel a little bad about stuff like there's that. There's a few there's other also... situations like that, too. Exactly. Where uh, there's... That makes me think of the uh, slaver uh, interaction that you, comes up pretty often. Yeah, absolutely. And that, will, that one is a pretty easy moral decision because it's either uh, purchase a slave for them from them or fight the slaver. And for those that have played the game, you'll know that once you fight the slaver, after you get them to about 25% health, they give up and give you a slave. Or you can so proceed they, to kill them anyway. Yeah. So then you feel good about both ways, is that you defeated the slaver and you freed one of them. But then you own a slave, so, yeah. And killed all <laughs> the remaining slaves on the ship. That's, yeah. But, you know, given the the choices. <laughs> well, see, and that's what I'm saying. Like, there's a lot of different uh, situations like that. You might come across a... Like a mantis who is being chased by its own people. And you have the decision, do you help the mantis who is telling you that he's being, you know, assaulted or whatever? Or do you uh, assist the pursuers? Mm. There's another one where you take – there. there's little tiny quest lines that usually you'll go to one sector or one beacon and they'll say, hey, can you escort me to this other beacon? And all it requires is you to go to that beacon and you usually get a result. But there's one where they say, will you bring this, uh, you know, Lady Zoltan uh, across this sector for us? And when you get to that last sector, she said she like pleads saying, no, they're bad people. They, you know, I, I'm a prisoner of theirs. I'm not. I'm not doing this by my own free will. And then you have the decision. Do you side with her and fight the ship that you are supposed to deliver her to? Or do you give her up to the ship that you're supposed to deliver her to? Mm -hmm. And they both have different outcomes. And you have to make that decision. Yeah, it's not exactly like a Bioware level of uh, morality choices in the game. But it does have kind of a lot of uh, of choices that you have to make. And what's interesting about it is it often will present you with one choice that is the choice that you would naturally make as a gamer, uh, you know, with a, with a heart, with two thumbs and a heart. But there's often an opposing choice that may actually result in more scrap. And it's pretty hard in this game to argue against more scrap. You have to do the, do the decision that results in more scrap, mm -hmm. which actually, while we're talking about this, very often the ship that you're fighting will offer to surrender and they will give you usually it'll be resource heavy they'll give you a lot of fuel missiles or drone parts but not a lot of scrap unless you particularly need whatever resource it is that they're offering you because sometimes they'll offer you like seven or eight missiles and missiles themselves are expensive so you can do the math and say well that's a net gain because of how much i would have spent but if you're not using missile weapons or you've got plenty of missiles or you've got plenty of fuel kill them all 
yeah, you want to refuse their surrender and destroy them because it will almost always result in more scrap. And very often, or at least sometimes, it will result in more scrap and the same resources that they were offering in the first place. <laughs> if they offer you a weapon or an augment, take that every time. Guys, this has been an awesome episode, and I can't wait to go back in to play this game again now that I've heard the tips you guys have had for me. Um, this game is really worth replaying uh, you know, as many times as you feel like it, but it's also a great game that you can dive into and play a full, complete game in an evening uh, or play it multiple times over the course of a weekend. Uh, where can people get this game? People can pick this game up, I think... In my opinion, the definitive edition of this game is the iPad version. Uh, the touchscreen controls are fabulous, and the fact that I can plop down on my sofa and play it whilst watching television uh, is ideal. It is, I think, uh, probably my favorite game on the iPad. It's also available on basically all computer platforms. Uh, it's available through Steam. It's available as a DRM-free digital download uh, you can find it at their website. Uh, do you know that I website? I think it's right? just ftlgame.com, but if that's not correct, I'll make sure I append it to the show notes. And uh, I would say if you have the iPad, go ahead and purchase it in that version. That's my recommendation. Yeah, that version is terrific. And I have both, and I've been playing the iPad version way more than I've been playing the computer version. Yeah, I, I bought the computer version, and... Uh, when I saw the iPad version was around and was available, I immediately purchased it, and I haven't fired it up on yeah. the computer. Yeah, that said, the computer version is a fantastic version, too. If you can play it, play whatever version you can. Yeah, we're, it's the same game. It's just uh, streamlined on the iPad for touch controls. Yeah. There's no lack of feature on either. Everything is... It's the full game on both. It's just... Absolutely. Absolutely. Whatever you have. I don't have an iPad, so I play it on my computer. And on the computer, I would say that the controls are still great. It's really well optimized for the keyboard controls. Uh, there's a little bit of shortcut keys to learn, but uh, they're easy to learn, and once you've learned them, um, I think it probably plays faster on the computer. So all the versions are great. It's a pretty cheap game. It's $9.99 on all the platforms. Uh, $9.99 is a tough sell on the iPad because a lot of people look at it and think, oh, most of these apps are free to play or whatever. But trust me, this is a really complete, polished, super well done game. And it is worth every penny of the 10 bucks. And it is worth that 10 bucks on whichever platform you choose to buy it on. Yeah, there's no, uh, there is no pay to win. There's no DLC. There's nothing. You pay the $10, you've got the entire game. This is a developer doing everything right. 10 bucks is a steal for this game. And they even went back 
a really long time later and added a huge amount of great, really game improving content for the game and added it 100% for free. So you can tell that this is a game made by people that love the game, love their fans, and wanted to create something great for them. So I'm really glad we got a chance to discuss the game in so much detail because I absolutely love this game. I can't wait to dive back into it and play it again. Um, If you want to keep up with our podcast, I hope that you'll come and follow us on Twitter. We are at underscore short game. Uh, or you can find our podcast's fantastic and attractive website at www.theshortgame.net. Uh, I've been Reagan Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Reagan K. I spell that funny. It's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Nate? You can follow me on Twitter at Nate S-T-L. And plugging again for Nate's other podcast. Nate's on a great uh podcast about the St. Louis Cardinals called Talking About Birds, and their download numbers are off the charts. <laughs> yeah, if you're a fan of baseball, uh, particularly the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, we'd love to have you listen. They are um, perhaps the premier St. Louis Cardinals baseball podcast. <laughs> One of what appears to be two total. So. Oh, you have a rival. <laughs> yes. That's, that's even better. I hope you destroy them. What are they called? Actually, don't speak their name out loud. We don't want anybody checking them out. And Shane, where can people find you? People can find me at 8BitShane. Uh, and uh, I just want to issue a Twitter challenge to anybody. I will be, uh, for the next uh, week or two, uh, I'm going to tweet every high score that I get in Faster Than Light. And if anyone tweets theirs at me, I will... Uh, I will reply. We'll see if we can. We, who gets the highest oh, out of the three of good us? Good idea. It's on. It's on. All right. Well, thanks, guys. This was a fantastic episode, and I hope you'll all join me again next week when we discuss Thomas Was Alone, the critically acclaimed indie platformer about friendship and jumping. Thomas Was Alone is the story of the emergence of the world's first sentient AIs, and it's a really great puzzle platformer. It's available on Steam for $9.99, and it'll run on a Windows, Mac, or Linux PC. And it is also available on the PlayStation 3 and the PS Vita, where it also costs $9.99, or it's free if you are a PlayStation Plus member. So I hope you'll check it out and join us again next week to talk about the game. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.